0: My goodness, Lord, we are aware of your goodness. We're aware of your spirit in here. It's what makes this such a special place. You're, you're here. We've been crying out to you since before the sun came up to remove evil from this place in the name of Jesus and fill in this dead with your spirit. and You always answer it. We're so thankful for that. So now we're here, Lord, in your presence. Touch us transform us in the likeness of Jesus for His glory. Come get us soon. We pray in His name. Amen. Alright, thanks. You can be seated. Hey, what's the name of that show that's out right now? It's real popular on TV about the horses dancing. You know what I'm talking about? So you think you can prance, I think is the name of it. Or prancing with the stars. That's the one. No, <laughs> listen, you know why you never dance with a horse, right? Come on, Ashley, you know this one. Because they got two left feet. Now, listen to me. I did read last week that the inventor, of the guy that, that contraption that goes in the dancer's hair to keep their, eye, their hair out of their eyes, he passed away this week. What was his name? It was Bob E. Pins, I think. Look, I'm going to keep telling him until you start laughing, all right? Do you know how many dancers it takes to change the light bulb? Five, six, seven, eight. OK, no I'm done. all right. Last week we talked about the dance of grace, and we had a good time with it, because anytime you talk about grace, it's good. I mean, even a bad sermon's great, a great one it's about grace. And what we decided last week is there's a rhythm to the dance of grace. It's, it's almost like dancing. And the first step was sin recognition, not sin avoidance, because we can't do that anyway. Sin recognition, which leads us to the second one, which is rediscovering God 's nature how he loves us and never turns us away, and is full of compassion. And then that moved us to the third step, uh, which was uh, asking him to change our want to so we could maintain. And then the last one, you remember the last one? It's doing it with other people. That's what I want to talk to you about today. I'm going to start with a very familiar passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Jesus said this, he said, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn him to the other also. If someone wants to sue you, take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Remember that? Isn't that a good text? You know, I was thinking, I had no idea where to go with this text. I mean, It's loaded. I mean, there's so much in there. I mean, I could spend all day just talking about eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth thing, which was called the law of lex telionis, and it was all about justice and fair play. And when Jesus said, by the way, you've heard it said, he meant it. It was Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, Deuteronomy 19. They'd heard this a lot because when it came along, restitution was out of hand. If somebody accidentally killed one of your pigs, you go to our house and kill five of their cows that's not right. So they'd come to your house and burn down your barn. That'd make you mad. So you go kill their wife and and that would make them mad. So they'd steal your kids and back and forth. And before you know it, you had a half Phil McCoy thing going on. So God came along. He said, that's enough. It's life for life, hand for hand, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. In other words, if somebody accidentally kills one of your pigs, you get a pig. That's it. You don't call Keller and Keller or the hammer or Ken Nunn. You just get a pig. That's it. Could we talk about that in this nation right now? I think so. We're in a country right now, a guy spills a cup of coffee on his lap at McDonald's and sues him for $20 million and sometimes wins. Our, our car insurance rates are so high because every time somebody's in an accident, whether they get hurt or not, somebody's called and you say, Hey, let's sue. I think we could talk about this. We could talk about this turn-the-other-cheek business. I mean, think about that. Everybody in here, uh, well, 90% of us in here are right-handed, according to statistics. So that means if I'm going to strike you on your right cheek, I'm going to have to do it backhanded, which in Jesus' day was the worst form of insult. In fact, we still say today a backhanded compliment. Could we talk today about verbal abuse? Oh, my goodness. We talk about it here every week. Social media is burning up. People talking to each other like, I I can't believe. Christians talking to other Christians like you'd never believe. Now, it's been going on a long time. Lady Astor and Sir Winston uh, Churchill, they they couldn't stand each other, and they were always barbing. everybody knew it. And one day she bumped into him in a hotel lobby, and he was drunk. And she said, Sir Winston, you're drunk. He said, Lady Astor, you're ugly, and tomorrow I'll be sober. So that's been going on a long time. Okay, But it's out of hand today. And I think we could talk a long time about being followers of Jesus. We should aim higher than this. We should turn the other cheek constantly. We should talk about that, and I think we will someday, real soon. Or we could talk about this whole, when somebody forces you to go one mile, go with them too. You've always heard the saying, uh, go go the extra mile. Well, this is where that came from. See, in Jesus' day, there was a law that a Roman soldier could stop anybody at any time and make them carry anything for one mile. That's why Cyrene, Simon of Cyrene was forced to carry it across, that kind of deal. And the Jews hated that law, and they hated the fact that Romans could make them do that. And so they, they played it to the letter. They counted a thousand steps, and when they got to a thousand steps, they dropped their load. And then somebody else had to pick it up, or the soldier had to carry it. Jesus said, hey, you know what? Let's do something differently. If they make you go one mile, go another one. Give the first mile to Caesar and the second mile to God. Could we talk a lot about that today? In a time where it's pretty hard to go even there, one mile to go two. See what I'm talking about? This text is loaded. A lot in there. But what I wanted to do today was spend some time on the second half of this teaching because we've been talking about the dance of grace, or at least I have. And, I, I, you know, the best kind of dancing you can do is to dance with somebody else. And we talked last week, you and I were not meant to receive grace only. We were meant to receive grace and let it flow out to dance with somebody else. And that's what I want to talk about. And the sad reason we have to talk about this is, this is funny, but some people don't like it when other people get a break. Some people actually get upset when somebody else gets to do the dance of grace. We call those kinds of people grace grumblers. And the sad thing is when you grumble against grace, you're actually grumbling against God because that's God's nature always to be gracious. One of the reasons why this church is so attractive over the years is because this is a very authentic place. We have very few pretenders in here. You know what I mean? We all know we're not perfect. We're starting with the preacher right on out. We're trying harder, but we know we're not there yet, and that's refreshing. We also love this church because Jesus Christ is king in this church. He's got lordship over the entire body of South Union Christian Church. Our eldership is not looking for their own interests. We're all trying to figure out what Christ wants us to do, and then we're going to do it. He's king of the jungle here, and that's powerful. But I was thinking one of the reasons I love this church is we have very few grace grumblers in it. And, man, that's so uncommon and so attractive. We love amazing grace in this church. We sing about it, we teach about it, we preach about it, we don't understand it, but my oh my, we accept it, and we love it. In fact, grace is what separates Christianity from every other religion. Did you know it? Every religion teaches you can be saved, but the good news of the gospel of Christianity is you can be saved by grace, not by works, through faith in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. Um, grace is getting not only getting not getting what you deserve is getting what you don't deserve. Billy Graham told this story years ago. He was going through a small town and he got caught speeding. And back then they take you right into the judge. This was Andy Griffith time. You know, in fact, I paid my first ticket that way. That's how old I am. But anyway, they took him into town and he was before the judge and the judge said, how do you plead guilty or not guilty? He said, well, I'm guilty. I was feeding. And he said about that time, the judge recognized who he was. He said, Mr. Graham, you are indeed guilty, and somebody does have to pay for this ticket. But if you don't mind, he pulled out his billfold and took money out and put it on the ticket, and he laid it over the side. And he said, Now, sir, if you don't mind, I'd like to take you out for a steak dinner. Now, that's grace. That's not only not getting what you do deserve, it's getting lots of things you don't deserve. And if anybody would like to practice that, I think we're free Monday night. I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying? Grace is stuff. I mean, it's good stuff. But here's the, the only thing that's more amazing to me than the grace of God is the fact that some people are offended by it. Isn't that nuts? It's crazy, but it's true. In fact, even in the Bible, there were people who were offended by the grace of God. Now, the classic example in the Old Testament is Jonah, and you all remember his story. God told him to go to Nineveh and preach against it and let him know God's coming down to put a thumping on him. That's a loose paraphrase, but he's coming after the Ninevites. Well, Jonah hated Ninevites. That'd be like asking us to go to Russia or something, and he wasn't going. So he jumped on a boat to Tarshish, and God created the big fish, and it swallowed him whole. You remember that story from flannel graph days in Sunday school? And after three days in the fish, Jonah's thinking, no, oh, obedience probably is a good idea. Which, by the way, when the whale puked him up on the bank, it's proof positive that you can't keep a good man down. But anyway, Jonah goes to Nineveh. He preaches, and they did something so shocking. They repented. And God let them off the hook. This is an amazing story of mercy. If you've not read the, the book of Jonah, you ought to. It's amazing how it turns out. But then we read in chapter 4, verse 1, Jonah was greatly displeased. And became angry, and he prayed to the Lord. And listen to this prayer. This is unbelievable. Now, you've got to give the guy kudos for being honest. But this is unbelievable. This is what he said. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew, he said. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Is this amazing? He said, doggone it, Lord, I knew this was going to happen. This is why I took off. I knew given half a chance you were going to let those pagans, those heathens, off the hook. You can't be trusted, God, with your grace. You're too free with it. Doggone, I knew this was going to happen. you believe people think like that? This is the same attitude the elder son had in Jesus' famous parable of the prodigal son in the New Testament. Remember the prodigal son comes home. Everybody's tickled to death that he's home. They're throwing a big party. Everybody's happy except one person. Well, maybe two if you count the fatted calf. But everybody's partying except the elder brother. He's outside pouting and crying. You didn't give him what he deserves. That's a grace grumbler. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we should never react like that. Because people who grumble against grace are grumbling against God because that's who he is. Now, I'm going to finish up by looking at another parable this morning that teaches this truth in a very, a very clear way. Now, this is 16 verses long. I'm going to read it. So if you're at home... And you're sleepy, drink another cup of coffee, stand up. If you're here and you're sleepy, shake your head. If you're sitting next to somebody who looks sleepy, pinch them right now. No, I'm not kidding. You, you don't have to do that because this is such a great parable, and you, you'll recognize it, and it's, it's an easy read. Matthew 20, 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. Remember it? He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them out in the vineyard. About the third hour, 9 o'clock in the morning, he went out and saw all others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever's right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour, which is noon, and the ninth hour, it's 3 o'clock, and he did the same thing. About the 11th hour, now 5 o'clock in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? No one's hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work on my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the workers in and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired going to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, they came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. If I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you, don't I have a right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first. And the first will be last. Remember that parable? Three powerful things Jesus tells us here. And then we're going to pray together at the altar. Here's the first one. It's just God's nature to be generous. Always. I want to remind you this is not God on a good day. This is God every day. Wrapped up in his essence is this unbelievable desire to give us blessings that we absolutely can never, ever earn or never deserve. We just spent an entire sermon last week talking about how all of our sins, as grievous as they can be, are wildly outdone by the grace of God. All of them. That there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That we're saved by grace through faith in him. It's a wonderful thing. And listen, Jonah knew that about God all the way back in the Old Testament. I think sometimes we make the mistake in thinking, if we're not careful, that God discovered grace in the New Testament. That somehow Jesus taught him about grace in the New Testament. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Listen to Psalm 86, 15. But you, God, are compassionate and gracious, God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Isaiah 30, 18. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. Exodus 34, 6, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is not a new look for God. He's always been this way. One guy tells a story about a preacher who was uh, out on a riverbank one day. He was doing some fishing, and uh, it had been kind of flooding, and there was a sandbar out in the middle, and a scorpion was stuck on the sandbar. It was obviously going to die. So he waited out to pick the scorpion up to save its life, and it kept trying to sting him. And it was kind of funny to watch because he'd get behind it, and they'd try to get him. And finally, there was a guy on the bank watching laughing about it, and he said, hey, preacher, it's kind of foolish. Don't you know it's in the nature of that scorpion to sting you? The preacher said, yeah, I know but it's in my nature to save. He said, do you think I ought to change my nature just because he won't change his? That's a crude illustration, but I found it Thursday afternoon, so I was running out of time. But here's the deal. God is compassionate and loving and full of grace, and that's just the way he is, whether you believe it or not, whether you accept it or not. That's who he is. I also love the story, and I know I've told this one before, about Robert Ingersoll. He was a famous 19th century lecturer, atheist, and he'd fill the house, speaking against God, against any kind of religion, uh, not just Christianity. And one day, in a packed lecture hall, he said, I'm going to prove to every one of you today, beyond a doubt, that God does not exist. And he said, here's how. He pointed towards heaven, and he said, I dare you, if you exist, to strike me dead in the next five minutes. And everybody gasped. By the way, that's a dangerous thing. Don't try that at home. Wow. He said, I mean it. Strike me dead if you're there. And then they said he took his watch up and put it on the lectern and just stood. The people that were there said it was was so tense you could cut it with a knife. Some people left. One gal fainted. After five minutes, of course, he's still standing. He put his watch back on and sneered. And he said, see what I mean? No, God, I'm still here. He's nowhere to be found. And walked out. So they're all leaving the lecture hall, and this guy comes up to this woman, and he says, boy, Mr. Ingersoll sure proved something tonight, didn't Didn't he? And she said he sure did. He proved that even the greatest defiant sinner on the planet can't exhaust the patience of my God in less than five minutes. God's gracious. He is so good. Now listen, the commentaries. some of the commentaries I read, I I tried to read several. And they tried to fix the story. They tried to make it right, because we got to be politi- politically correct these days. And, and they said, you know, here, here's what's going on. The guy that only worked one, of the people that only worked one hour, they worked harder than everybody else that worked all day. Well, that sounds good, but that's not what the Bible says, and we know better than that. One of the commentaries I read said, well, this group got a brass denarius, and this group got a gold denarius. Again, that's not what the Bible says. I'm just telling us. Let's not try to fix this. Let's accept this. Let's not miss the point. The point is God is not fair. He's more than fair. He's always given us stuff that we could never deserve. Blessings sometimes we do not even ask for. This is not injustice. This is justice with lots and lots and lots and lots of grace piled on it. And we ought to love it. And we ought to love it as Christ's followers anytime we get it or we see anybody else get it. Now here's number two, very quickly. Uh, it's, it's, some people see this as scandalous. Notice the Jonah and elder son spirit coming out in this story. Look at verse 11. They began to grumble against the landowner. Verse 12 says, They said, you've made them equal to us. Well, there it is. (laughs) That's the problem. See, they're not upset with God because he was unfaithful or, or unfair to them. They're upset with God because he was too generous to other people. And I'm just asking you, does that ever run through your heart or mind? Do you ever get kind of upset when somebody else gets a new house? Somebody else gets a new car and you didn't? Somebody else gets a... Uh, uh, you know, an inheritance, all of a sudden you get a big group of money? And I hope not. This, by the way, is why Paul said in First Corinthians, the ways of God are foolishness to men, even offensive to the wise. Why is why? Because they don't get it. The world doesn't understand this at all. Now, we've been talking a lot about this lately, and, and I, you know, we were talking this morning. If, unless you got your eyes open, there's lots of bad stuff going on right now, and the enemy of our soul is working overtime against the kingdom of God, and he has got people scared, he's got people confused, he's got people proud, he's got people blind. And I'm just telling you again, you bump into somebody who's scared, confused, proud, and blind and tell them about the unbelievable gift of God, and they're going to laugh in your face. He's working on us. G. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan was preaching a revival, and uh, on Monday night, one of the guys came up to him afterwards, and he said, Preacher, I really enjoyed your sermon, and I'd like to accept this salvation offer from Christ you're talking about, but I just can't do it. And he said, Why not? He said, It's just too, it's too easy. This is too free. And Campbell said, Hmm. Well, let me ask you. He said, Did you, uh, did you work in the mine today? He said, Yeah, I went to work. Why? He said, well, how'd you get out of the mine when your shift was over? He said, I rolled the elevator up like I do every day. He said, what'd that cost you? Well, they don't charge you to ride the elevator out of the mine after you're done working. He said, oh, my goodness, you must have been scared to death. He said, why? I mean, to ride up in an elevator like that, free and everything. The guy said, no, no, I wasn't afraid. They, they work real hard to make sure that that's a... S-. And then it hit him. Just because something's free doesn't mean it's cheap. We talk a lot about the grace of God in this place, and it's free, but there's nothing cheap about it. It cost Jesus his life and a whole lot more when he took all of our sins all upon himself. And God is so holy, the only thing that can possibly repair a relationship with him is the blood of Jesus Christ. And and I don't think people would grumble so much about grace if they thought about the holiness of God, and if they thought about the sovereignty of God. This is his game. He gets to do whatever he wants to do. Don't I have a right to do what I want with my own money? Yes, sir, you sure do. And I know how much grace I need. And so if God's going to give grace to a prostitute, a drug dealer, child molester, a terrorist, it's none of my business. And you and I as followers of Jesus Christ ought to be so tickled every time we see grace at work. Because that's who he is. And this is the last one, and I'll be walking down in just a minute. This is probably the biggest point of all. As followers of Jesus, you and I should never be envious, ever. I mean, we got to stop making the mistake that God sometimes grades on the most favored clause. In other words, God's not going to give more grace to me because I've been preaching for 40 years. He's not going to give more grace to you you've you been teaching all these years or, or more, more grace for you for working with, with uh, you know, Jackie or for cleaning the kitchen. That's not the way this thing works. And we all know why it doesn't work because every one of us in here could repeat the famous line from George Whitefield, and You'll remember it when I tell you. George Whitfield's walking down the road to one of his buddies and they see a drunk staggering out of the bar. And he about falls down in the gutter and his, his friend says, oh my goodness, look at that drunk. And Whitfield stops him and says, friend, there but by the grace of God go I. Yeah. Yeah, we're all, we're all in the same boat here. And the thing's sinking quick. And any time God reaches down and pulls somebody out of it, we ought to be celebrating we should never be in this. Rich Ashley is the preacher in Texas, and one night him and his wife were um, reading their three-year-old son, Michael, uh, about Daniel and the lion's den. They wanted him to go to sleep with a Bible lesson every night. And when they were done, his dad said, now, Daniel, what were, or Michael, what would you do if you were trapped in a lion's den? And he said, I'd get my guns and I'd shoot those lions. Well, that wasn't quite what they wanted him to learn, so his mom said, well, that sounds pretty good, Michael, but what if you didn't have your guns? Would you pray to God like Daniel and ask God to protect you from the lion's den? He said, no, I'd pray to God and say, send me my guns. <laughs> yeah, that little three-year-old kid knew more about adult theolo- theology than, you know, sometimes we're wanting to admit, because sometimes, you know, if you're like me, sometimes we have this attitude I'm a pretty good shot, God. I can take care of things on my own. Thank you very much. If I need you, I'll call you. If things get really, you know, I have surgery or, you know, the wife's having problems or something, I'll call you then. But most of the time, I can take care of things on my own. I just want to remind you, family, I love you a lot, but there ain't nobody in here that good a shot. Nobody in here's got that big a gun. Because the enemy that we're fighting, the lion that's out to get us, is the devil. And he prowls about, the, the Bible says, and he's playing for keeps. I mean keeps. And the only hope that you and I have of anything at all is the grace of God from start to finish, which always leads back to this. Now, I I never have to push communion time because everything we preach comes back to the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you one more story. I'm full of stories this morning. That's the way it goes. But we spent a week at Boggs this week driving back and forth to work from Boggs, and we try to do that two or three times a year, uh, at least on the weekend, and my grandkids love it. I mean, Griffey Peterson, it's just his favorite thing to do is to go to bogs. You know, we fish and we putt-putt and we chase animals around and, you know, have s'mores. And uh, it's just a blast, isn't it? Uh, Acton loves it. And, And so anyway... Last year, uh, Griffey was about three and a half years old and we get in a boat and go from our campsite to the playground and I'm taking all the kids across the lake in the little boat with my little electric motor, you know, and we're going to go play in the playground. And Griffey uh, got out of the boat at the playground and he turned around and he said, "Papa, they're all running out of nowhere. He said, "Papa," I said, what, Bubby boy? And he said, isn't this the greatest day ever? And he just danced, you know. It is. Isn't this the greatest thing ever? This right here. It's on the hill, man. It's all we got. it's all we need. And I'm just saying we ought to dance up here once in a while. I know, I know the altar is a sober time. It's a time where we come up and, and recognize our sin like we talked about last week, and ask for forgiveness and all those kinds of things. But this, this is a, a banquet held in your honor, and you ought to be dancing up here.